Hello and welcome to Supercharged, a podcast where we give you all the gaming news that you need to know every week, uh, featuring myself, Noan Zaldula, and Lane Humanak. How's it going, Lane? Going good. Yeah, it's been a been an interesting week. Last awesome. week was well. Uh, after we recorded last week, uh, I went hunting, and that was the first time I've been hunting, so that was interesting. Played a uh, game of pool with a Super Bowl star, which was even crazier. So I don't know. Week just started off weird, and then I worked all week, which normally I don't do that. I don't work five days in a row because I'm just part time. But yeah, you gotta get that I'm, Christmas uh, money. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> gifts are expensive. <laughs> so what about you how's your week uh my week was pretty good um played too much apex as always and um had a had a pretty good time though watched spider-man no way home yeah. and no spoilers but i loved it so good um Did you get to the best spider-man movie up to date or uh probably not but it, it it does do a lot of things that i like in a spider-man movie and i think um it's probably like my top Three or four Spider-Man movies easily. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fair. It's a fair judgment. Uh, speaking of what we've been doing the past week, and you know, stuff we've done all our life, uh, I, I had a question for you. If your life was a video game, what genre of game would it be, and why? My life was a video game. I've been playing a lot of Clash of Clans. <laughs> um, and yeah <laughs> that doesn't I, sound good <laughs> i think it'd be like an idle clicker or like you know like a game like clash of clans where you just try, sort of build something and you wait and it would be like go to college and it would take four years to complete and then would, uh you know become algs level apex player and it would take six years to complete no like like two years maybe we'll we'll get there um and uh <laughs> you know uh sit down and binge watch daredevil seasons one through three it would take two weeks to complete you know things like that um yeah. and then maybe also there's like a text-based adventure mini game um where it's just like you get to do some of the day-to-day stuff and all that and um yeah it wouldn't be a very fun game i wouldn't i would probably not play that game <laughs> Why? I think you're giving yourself not as much credit as you uh, you deserve. Well, I don't know, it sounds like an interesting game to me, at least. Well, tell me about yours. <laughs> tell me about which. Um, as far as like genres go, mine would be like it'd probably be like a survival game, <laughs> just like you know, living life every day. And uh, <laughs> I think it would be like it would have Scott Pilgrim versus the World vibes, just because I'm so fucking awkward. <laughs> so it'd definitely be like that but also up until i was 18 it would be like scott pilgrim versus the world and then high school musical because i was definitely all into singing i did choir pretty much all of my life went to state uh my senior year so there's that and then i was also playing football and basketball so it was just kind of hard to you know time management all of that so yeah and then I think it would, from 18 until now, it would just be a tower defense game of how many fucking Karens I deal with at work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. The Karens are coming, and then you just have to... 
You, you just gotta, uh, well, you can speak to my manager. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> That's good. But yeah, I think that would be my, my game up until now. Yeah, so it's, it's like a survival game, and then with like a visual novel type. Yeah. Uh, it would be like, school. it would be like a Walmart generic version of It Takes Two. Just, it takes one to be, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> right. so, many, so many different genres going into it. Well, um, I think we should get into the news. Why y'all come here every week, and that's what we love to talk to talk talk to y'all about, even when the news isn't uh, maybe the best. So let's get think, into it. Get the I worst think, stuff I, out of the way. I think they come for uh for our podcast for our beautiful personalities and our voices and our rugged looks. That's right, <laughs> our rugged good looks, our charm. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Bungie is still in the news, and I think they're probably going to be in the news for a while until they sort these things out. Um, but the latest stuff that we did not get to get to last week, I don't know if the Mylan Games video was out last week, but... I think uh, it, it wasn't, because okay. when you brought it up to my attention the other day, I think, uh, right. it, had, it had only been out for a day or two at that point, so... Right. Yeah, so shortly after our last episode. Shortly after... Um, Two big developments happened. First, Mylan Games uh, published his YouTube video where he talks about... And Mylan Games, just for anyone who doesn't know, he's a sort of lore master on YouTube that talks about Destiny 2 lore. Um, and he, Well, he's done so since Destiny 1, I think. Um, and Bungie brought him on to work on their lore anthologies, which sold really well uh, because of his work, probably. Um, and... He was the originally his title was the lore curator, and that means that he went through every piece of lore, decided which uh, how to organize the lore into these books. And originally it was supposed to be one book, but he decided it should be three. Now it's four, but he wrote three. He or he worked on three, rather. Um, and basically, he just confirmed everything that was happening in that IGN article. Not that it needed to be confirmed, but usually when you have an outside source, it's like okay. Well, now there's an example from someone outside who saw the company culture, what it, was, what it was like inside. And so he basically said that he had his work questioned. The old guard of Bungie was brought out on him because they were like, well, we've been here since Destiny 1. We have a vision for this, and if you ruin our vision, that's, that's going to be bad, so let us help. And uh, he had the sort of ethical code of we're a team here at Bungie, weaponized against him to discredit his work. Uh, and it really sucks, and yeah, I just, well, what, do, what are your thoughts on this lane? Yeah, I definitely think it's messed up. From what I've gathered, he's, you know, his, what was his role called again? The uh, lore curator, right? Yeah, that was his original title. So he basically went through, did all this work by himself, and, well, I say by himself, he could have had some help from people, but he did the majority of the work. And then he had Bungie come in and say, "Well, yeah, no, we're not about, we're not about all that. We need to show that we're a team doing this." And it'd be like, it'd be like if you and I, like, we just started this podcast. If we did fifty episodes or something like that in the future, and then someone came in and was like, "Yeah, no, I was a part of it, even though they yeah. were just recently a part of it," which would be like, "No, no, you weren't. Yeah, <laughs> we've been here the whole time." So I definitely think that I don't know. It's 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 definitely strange. I will say 
as far as Bungie's part goes, like for them to say like, hey, we had a vision for this game and we've been here since Destiny 1, that's fair. I can see them saying that. But to just go through and, you know, change someone's work or say like, oh, well, he didn't contribute to all this work someone else did or, or you know, just cha- even last minute changes is just like, going back to what I said last week, it's just, you don't do that. You don't do that to someone's hard work and their effort. And it doesn't look well on the company. Yeah, I think it's I think it's important to like say yeah okay we have a vision for this, but he was working closely with the narrative team, and then in the last week before this book was supposed to go to press, uh, a new guy was added to the um, to work on the project, and he was somewhere someone who had been at Bungie since Destiny One, and he was like I have all these ideas, and this is why your stuff is bad. And then the next week, his title was changed from lore curator to lore consultant, which made it sound like he didn't do anything. And the new guy was given the title lore curator. And that's why it's, like, really bad. Um, but Mylan sort of, like, acknowledges, like, I'm just a guy who is a contractor on the outside. And, like, I'm a white male and all this other stuff. So I can't even imagine, like, what all these women have gone through. And, like, I can I totally saw, like, the mentality that they take to people who sort of speak up against Bungie's like corporate leadership and uh, higher ups so yeah it, that's crazy and then moving on from that um, Rebecca Valentine who reported on the first Bungie story uh, last week she has another story um, about Bungie's head of HR Gail DeHaunt stepping down not sure if I got her name right from her, her, from her role at the company after more than 14 years um and, you know, basically, the article reads, uh, quote, in an email circulated to employees today, which IGN has seen in full, the haunt reflected on her time at the company saying she wants to do everything in my power to make sure everyone who works here has a safe, welcoming, and supportive environment. She then cited the need for the company's people team to move forward with membership largely comprised of people new to Bungie, end quote. Um, the story also talks about how the haunt herself had to fire one of her abusers who was who she considered a friend before uh and it uh it's still unclear whether the haunt is staying at Bungie, just not as the head of hr um but i think this is a move that can be seen as good but also sort of like all right we got to start calling the, the people at the top so that we can look like we're doing something uh what about you? Uh, what are you I, thinking? Um, I, I honestly, as far as like her stepping down goes, I don't know if it was something she chose for herself after being there for more than 14 years. Uh, I haven't heard anything. If it's like, you know, you never know. It could be something health related or family related. That's at least that's what I'm hoping for. Maybe she just made the choice for herself. But it could also be that Bungie's, like you said, trying to make it seem like they're calling the people at the top that they're trying to change. And if all this stuff has been going on and she's been at that top position for, I mean, she's been with the company for more than 14 years, but I don't, how long has she been at the top of HR? Do you know? I have no idea. I I don't know if she's been there for more than 14 years or she's had that position for more than 14 years. Uh, It's not really clear in the article. Gotcha. Either way, um, it it could be they're just they're forcing her to step down to show like you've been in this position for this long and this stuff is going on so we need to show the public something yeah you know yeah it's hard so, to like 
be balanced about I, it because yeah i think we just need to wait for for more information before you know really setting our minds to to what happened or even saying like what happened you know what i mean yeah like has like she needs to come out and she needs to say more and i think we need to question bungie more on why she was stepping down yeah i think like it's supposed to be a signal of like oh they're changing and they're making they're having the newer people at bungie step up um but until we Which see those good newer people to have at bungie the new... step up there's not yeah. like a reason to celebrate that yet um yeah i don't know i don't know how i really feel about it i understand you need to have new ideas come in and you need to have new people but at the same time to have someone devote so much of their time to a company and to share a vision with that company to force them out it feels like for you know new people to take their place it just it doesn't seem right to dedicate that much time and then just be kicked to the curb yeah, but that's that's corporations, it, you know, because Gail DeHaan, it, to me, it seems like from that first article, uh, it said that HR constantly had a role in protecting these bad actors at Bungie. And if you're Bungie and you see that article and you knew that you were using HR in that way to protect yourselves, you're going to get rid of HR. You're going to get rid of the head to make sure like you're looking like, oh, we're stepping in a different direction, which sucks, but that's just... That's just yeah. capitalism, baby, and it sucks. <laughs> and um, we just throw people under the bus for our own benefit constantly. And Bungie knew what they were doing. They knew that it would protect people. Uh, and now they're showing that they knew all along. And I, I it's going to take some change for things to I, happen. I also wouldn't say, though, that it's just <laughs> capitalism because of that. It's just the people at the top, unfortunately, who are making that decision. Like, I think the people who are making more money and who have the incumbency really at the top, like yeah, they're they're making the decisions, and the people who are lower get stepped on, and that's that's what it is. Like essentially, in in, in most cases, but not all cases, it, it's just because you don't have the right people at the top. Yeah, and I think it, yeah, but it's I just, I just this I just, change I, would not have happened if this article did not come out last week. And that's what sucks because you have to have out you have to have outside pressure for anything to ever change in this like scenario. Despite all yeah. these people coming to HR and being like, "Hey, this guy was talking down on me. This guy changed my work. This guy, like all this other stuff." It's just, that didn't matter. What mattered was the article finally coming out from IGN and people reading it. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, yeah, I think we should move on. Uh, I think I think we kind of gave everyone our opinions on that. Got both sides of the story out. Um, yeah, I, I am looking forward to hearing more though from Gail. Let's see if she says anything. Yep. So let's move on to maybe a good thing. I'm hoping it's a good thing. I hope <laughs> with my whole heart that this is a good thing. There's a Splinter Cell remake happening at Ubisoft. And uh, this was rumored earlier. It might have been a, a new game. It might have been a remake. But now we know it's the first game being remade. And I don't, I don't know how to feel about this. <laughs> I'm, I'm really hoping it's good. I've, I've never played any of the Splinter Cell series. What, what 
what has you hopeful about it and what is also giving you stress about it? Why do you think it's going to So why do you think it's going to take off and why do you think it might fail? When the first Splinter Cell game came out, like Metal Gear Solid was a thing. Uh the Metal Gear games were a thing. But Splinter Cell to me, like it, it you know, it the tagline for Splinter Cell was stealth action redefined. And it really was that because Sam Fisher, who's like this rugged sort of old white spy guy, he's the best. He's so good. He is just like he's voiced by Michael Ironsides, and I don't know. I, I don't. He, the most iconic guy that he's voiced in my mind is like Darkseid in the Superman the Animated Series, but he's just so good in the role. Um, but anyways, like gameplay wise, um, it created this new lighting system on the Xbox. Um, and it was just beautiful. Like you've actually felt like you were sticking to the shadows and moving through your moving your way through these levels and like stealthfully and perfectly executing everything. Like it feels like the the touchstone for every stealth game moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it all came to a culmination in Chaos Theory because um, you had all these gadgets. You didn't just have like sticking to the shadows and sneaking behind someone and breaking their neck or interrogating them. You have like things like the optic cable, which you can stick under doors so you can see where people are, and then you have things like night vision, thermal vision, uh, like mics that can pick up noise from over there so you can hear what they're talking about, so you can get the door code or whatever. Um, like there, there's so much to do in that game. Um, many, many paths. Many so many ways, ways to approach things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I. Like, it, it's probably my favorite stealth game, Chaos Theory, aside from, like, maybe Dishonored. And even then, I think it does some stuff better. And I just think that they can make Splinter Cell 1 on par with Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, or better, if they remake it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about that. Ubisoft is known for their, I think, their stealth games. Uh, with um, Splinter Cell, Dishonored, and they did Dishonored, right? Uh, no, that was Arcane. They did Kane that did that one. They did Assassin's Creed, and well, I was going to say Assassin's Creed too. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I feel like Assassin's Creed has gone more from stealth to just straight up like every now and then you'll assassinate someone, but a lot of times it's just open combat now. No, like. yeah, a hundred percent. It's it's gone away from that for sure. Now it's an RPG where everyone has two thousand health points and your swords do like a hundred. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just it. I don't know kind of unfortunate yeah. uh but yeah you I, i'm glad you're looking forward to it like i said i never played any splinter cell so uh hopefully ubisoft does it right yeah and the reason that i'm like hesitant to be like uh splinter cell is because of their incredible microtransactions and monetization of their single player experiences like yep. assassin's creed where you can buy level boosts yep. or and their announcement of nfts <laughs> Uh, being a part of Ghost Recon, and, you know, all these things. I just hope that they don't corrupt the spirit of Splinter Cell. Also, I feel like the spirit of Splinter Cell is corrupted with Splinter Cell Conviction and Splinter Cell Blacklist, which were two games that introduced this mechanic of execution. And if you got a melee kill on someone, you could just for free mark people uh, and then execute them with a press of a button. And that shit is so stupid 
because it just takes away any of the stakes. You just you can just press a button and kill everyone, and then yeah. walk your way through. And then people were like, oh, "Blacklist is a return to form," because we're going through stealthily and stuff. But half of those missions are in the broad daylight, which sucks for, for a game like Splinter Cell, which really thrives on the lighting and stuff like that. Um, and then when you explore and you find a different way to go, it gives you a hundred points for exploration. And if you get a hundred points for exploration or, or finding another path, that just takes me out of the game and says, Oh, they wanted me to find this other path and like explore. So this isn't even really like a secondary path or something I found. It's just another completionist thing to do, which like sucks for me. I'd rather just take on the level how I want to without being told, Oh, you did a good job for doing that. Um, gotcha. Yeah. So it's like, if you take that path towards another path, you get, I don't want to say 85%, but if you just took the first path, you get like 70% completionist, that kind of thing. Yeah. And they, I, like, can, I can see how that's frustrating. They had a rating system for like Panther and other things. Like if you wanted to attack everyone or be stealthy or Panther, Ghost or something else. And it's like, I don't need that. I just need... Tell me how many people detected me, how many people didn't, how many alarms to set off, or whatever, and that's cool. Um, yeah. But yeah. I think I want to, uh, because you brought up Ubisoft with Splinter Cell, I want to talk about uh, CD Projekt Red. Um, we'll refer to them as CDPR going forward, but for those of you who don't know, last year they came out with a game that everyone has been looking forward to. I think six to seven years at the at the point when it came out called cyberpunk 2077 and my god did this game just suck it was terrible it, it could have been so much more and they just they definitely screwed the pooch on this one um and the reason that ubisoft made me think of them is because i was reading an article about how much cd project red made last year they made 548.5 million US dollars. That's more than the revenue generated for Ubisoft from France, UK, and Germany combined, which was 525.28 million. And the reason that that is so important is because recently there's a settlement agreement that's been, they haven't really agreed to it yet. They've agreed on amount, but no one's really like pushed it through yet. No one signed anything where they're going to be paying 1.85 million, I think, towards those who brought these um, allegations against them. There was four cases brought up that they combined into one, two of which were from, let me see if I can find it here, two of which were from LA-based uh, the Shaw Law Firm and New York City-based Rosen Law Firm. And what's interesting is both firms pretty much had the same... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not grammar, but like they just they use the same wordage in their lawsuits, and that's why they kind of combined them all into one. I don't know. I feel like the amount is is way less than it should be. They had so many promises for launch that they weren't able to meet. Um, a lot of people started buying into their stock because they kept hyping up how this game was going to be revolutionary, how it was going to change the way you saw. A, like a gaming world like it was supposed to feel real you were supposed to have interactions with npcs and all kinds of stuff that they just they weren't they weren't able to hold up on and they even had all the hype with keanu reeves 
um, playing what was his character's names again? Jesse or Johnny? Johnny, Johnny Silverhand Cage? or Johnny Silverhand? Johnny Cage. That's Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah. No, but I just I'm I'm kind of frustrated. I feel like they should they should pay more than just one point eight five, especially after making that much. Cyberpunk contributed to their sales being that high for sure. Right. I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? Well, I have this article um, from Tech Raptor by Rhiannon Bevan, Every Unfulfilled Promise of Cyberpunk 2077. And I'm not going to go through me. all of them, but th- there are some, <laughs> some real ones here. Um, so first of all, a live city, NPCs with a handmade routine. In the E3 2018 trailer, we see like these monks and these other people sort of like watching them or heckling them. We see that you have like a ton of NPCs, like there were so many NPCs in, like, the trailers and, like, stuff that it looked like Night City was, like, an actual city. Like, it looked like a New York or a San Francisco. Um, and we just did not get that. Uh, more, like, customizable V with, like, apartments you could purchase. None of that. Combat features. They actually did say, uh, like, a little bit before launch, oh, the wall running and stuff? That's not going to be a thing. But... They still showed that in the trailers, and anyone who wasn't closely following Cyberpunk's, like, or no, CD Projekt Red's dialogue, they wouldn't have seen that. And they probably would have just seen the trailer and been like, that looks cool, I want to play this game. Um, the weather effects, like, Night City should be rainy, it should be dark and neon-drenched all the time. Not really the case. And yeah, a lot of sunny, sunny days. Yeah. There's just a ton that's just not there. This sort of, like, uh, from the demo, there was the the ambush that you could have by, like, the med people that were, like, police also. And that thing looked awesome, and that just never happens in the game. Like, it, it sucks. And then another thing is, like, the police. There was a quote from them in 2019, and they said, I would compare it to The Witcher 3, where if you chopped off the head of a villager in the middle of nowhere, the guards wouldn't show up out of nowhere. But if you're in a big town and someone from the guard sees you and the people nearby run away screaming for help, people will come and try to stop you. In, CD Pro- or in Cyberpunk 2077, those cops just show up out of nowhere, and you're yeah. screwed. Um, yeah, I, that's a big letdown, and honestly, I don't think that's enough money either, especially considering Sony just pulled that game from their stores completely. Yeah, like, and they had to refund everyone, too. Yeah, this game was not playable if you were on last-gen consoles, and so many people are, because who's even able to find a PS5 or an Xbox Series X? Uh, what what really worries me about it is I'm afraid that once this is settled, and I'm seeing here that the plaintiffs in the case have until January 13th of this upcoming year, so 2022, to update on uh, their approval of the settlement. So it hasn't been approved yet on the plaintiff side. They don't, so it could be, they could change the number on it still, which I'm hoping they will. But the biggest thing for me is I feel like CDPR is going to either a just chop it off before you know it gets to the rest of them uh or chop off the game before it like makes the company worse or hurts it even more or b they're just not going to focus all of their resources onto making it the game it should have been yeah and they're saying that they're going to be working on hot fixes and updates but that they've uh, they've already pushed the planned update optimizing the game for next gen uh, next gen consoles into 2022. It doesn't right. even have a date. It just says in 2022. So once this is settled, are they not going to follow up on that? Are they going to keep pushing it off? I, I don't know. 
That's true. And to be completely fair, I will say Cyberpunk 2077 is a better game now than it was at launch. But yes, it's still I will agree shit, on that. in my opinion. Still not good. Um, there's, there, I mean, it's still not the game they promised. I, I, it's probably good in terms of, like, if you want an action game to just hop into and have fun in. But if you want, like, an immersive RPG sim like it was promised to be, you will not get that. You will not get meaningful choices. You will not get uh, a feeling that you're changing the world. And I think that if you do want that game, I'm looking a lot into Dying Light 2, uh, because it looks like a world you can actually change so far. But they could just be bamboozling me with the marketing, just like Cyberpunk 2077 did. But we'll see. Uh, gotcha. Speaking of a company that is not going to bamboozle you with their marketing at all, uh, Square Enix is taking sales of Final Fantasy XIV off of their storefront, off of any storefront, uh, because people just want to play their games so damn bad. It, it yeah it's a it's a new golden age for <laughs> final fantasy 14 i uh i saw an article that said that the player base is just too high and that they're what they're doing so they had a they had a trial i think on steam they've taken the, the game off of steam completely for now but they had a trial basis for players on steam and they're giving them limited access so early i think early morning and late night they're not able to play so it's just like in the middle of the day which everyone's at work at that point and then they're also they're trying to delay deliveries of physical copies to stores, which is crazy. That's crazy <laughs> to me. Their yeah. game is doing so well that they're they're having to sabotage their, their own sales, chain. <laughs> which I respect it honestly because they're trying to make sure that the players who already have access to it can enjoy the game that they bought. Right. Their servers are are packed to the brim. They don't want people to feel like they you know wasted their money on this game. So how else are they able to do that except for limiting the, the copies <laughs> that they sell? I think what they're going to try to do is obviously add more servers uh, so they can support a higher player base. But maybe they're just also trying to let people go through and play through the expansion and then they'll be done with playing. They'll go on to the next game and then those new players can come in. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I think you're right about that because the developers have pretty much or I don't I think his name's Yoshida something. I have no idea, and I don't want to guess. Um, best not to guess. Um, but he, basically, they have the man mindset that it's just like, yeah, they'll come and they'll play the game, and we don't have any desire to keep them playing it for no reason if they don't want to play. Um, so yeah, I think that's their goal here. Just let the people play, let them cycle out, and then there will definitely be people ready to pay good money for our next for the expansion. Uh, that's just haven't gotten the chance to play yet. Yeah, and they're good. Good for them. It's like, a very I'm good glad... problem to have. Yeah, yeah. That that's what I was. I was uh, when I first read it. I was thinking, man, like that's that's a questionable decision. But if you think on it, really, like it's probably their best decision right now. Yeah, I don't, it, it'd be like if. Oh, I guess it's kind of the same with consoles. Yeah, they're the console. The new generation of consoles are doing so well, but they're just so hard to find. Like yeah. people are are paying what's the what's the phrase hand over dollar or fist over dollar yeah yeah like <laughs> it's that that fry meme from Futurama shut up and take my money <laughs> exactly and it's such a great story just in terms of Final Fantasy XIV's first year being like bad so bad that they had to scrap the whole thing and re rework everything yeah. um and now they're the best MMO out there uh arguably and probably 
Well, they won best. They won best community support, didn't they? They did, yeah. So yeah, they're doing something right. They are, <laughs> and um, you know, uh, our friend Colin, he's he's grinding away at that game. He he was grinding to prep to prepare for Endwalker, and I know he's excited to play it, and <clears throat> I know there are tons of people excited to play it. So that's a that's a good. Has story. he been able to, or has he had trouble because of the limited access? I don't think he's had too much time to game lately, so I don't think he's gotten into it, but uh, I can't wait to hear from him, and maybe you can have him as a co-host to tell us all about Final Fantasy XIV later on down the line. Yeah. Uh, but for now, uh, that's all the news stories we have um, this past week. Let's talk about... Let's be a little indulgent, Lane. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Daredevil. Not... Yeah, Daredevil, not a video game, but a, a TV series, <laughs> an amazing TV series. Yep, and in I've, keeping... uh, I was just gonna say, I, I've only, I've only ever seen the first season. You've already watched it all, but yeah, I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying it for sure. Uh, I haven't really been a big series person as far as superheroes go, especially with the Marvel universe. The cinematic universe is awesome, but I don't know, something about the TV series has never really caught my attention um i started watching it because you suggested it honestly right and the first episode was crazy it definitely it <laughs> it drew me in with how i don't really want to spoil anything but just how how dark it was like right. you don't really see that in a lot of superhero stuff i feel mm-hmm. like so I really like that aspect of it. I don't know what what got you into it. Did someone tell you to watch it, or were you just interested? Uh, I watched the first two seasons, and I just want to say we're going to destroy all of our relevancy by talking about a six year old first season of a show right now. But I don't care because it's Daredevil and it's amazing. Um, yeah. But what got me into it? I just watched the first two seasons. I was watching it as it came out, and I loved it. And then. Season three came out and I just didn't watch it for some reason. Uh, but I recently rewatched all of it and that show is probably one of my favorite shows ever. Um, what draws me into the world is Matt Murdock. He his Charlie Cox's performance as Matt Murdock is insane. It's so good that like there's a society of blind people in the in, in America that like recognized him specifically for depicting blind. Uh, like a blind performance so well and that's that's that speaks volumes to his performance um like just the way he gives like so much without ever really looking into the eyes of another actor is is awesome and also the one take action shots in that movie or in that series are just amazing like that first scene where he saves that boy um from that was one take yeah yeah that was one take that and it's it's just beautiful, and there's just more and more like throughout the seasons that up the game so much, and that character's just so good. I kind of identify with him because I'm I'm I was raised Catholic, uh, I am Catholic, and Matt Murdock's struggles are so the, like real. The inner turmoil that he faces throughout the first season is amazing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I'm not I'm again I'm not going to go into details, but yeah, a lot of his his religious beliefs and the way he was raised especially by his father and how he doesn't want to really be like him let the devil out yeah he doesn't want to let the devil out yeah as he says it's just i don't know i enjoy it a lot i think it's cool 
and then you can't talk about Daredevil if you don't talk about Wilson Fisk. And Wilson Fisk is amazing. Vincent D'Onofrio is Wilson Fisk. When he I says... What, what's he that? does he he does he does a really good job as playing Fisk, but any, every time I see him, I just I keep thinking of the guy from Full Metal Jacket. That right. and Law and Order. Right, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, 100%. It's, it's hard to see him as Fisk when I have those two images in my mind, but one, he, he he does it well, yeah. One of his performances that I just never like connected the dots until I saw it like in writing is that he was Edgar the Bug in Men in Black 1. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, but he's like the main bad guy in that, and he doesn't even look like himself. Um they also did a lot of CGI on his face, I think. Or maybe it was just makeup. It was just like a lot of makeup and prosthetics. But yeah. in a, at the end of season one, Daredevil, when Fisk is like, it means that I'm not the Samaritan. That I'm not the priest or the Levite. And he says... Oh, yeah, telling that story. I am the ill intent. And I was like, holy shit, this is, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is amazing. See, I want to know how he, how he chooses his performance. So how he chose his speaking style for Fisk because going through the series and seeing Fisk's backstory, when you do watch it, if you haven't already, it feels like he either a just speaks the way he does because he has a traumatic past. Or I'm wondering if B he has some form of like autism that makes him socially awkward. I think he's like, definitely got a developmental thing because like every time he looks in the mirror he sees himself as a boy and Mm -hmm. the bloodied boy like he and he still is like a child like every time he like when he goes to have dinner with vanessa and he gets the um the the zupa yeah it's it's what he always had as a kid it was his favorite and yeah and she even brings that up she says isn't that for children yeah yeah. well it's delicious like he he is a he is a little man child and that's the best part about it is that like he's this man child who's also the most cunning like person in this universe and it's so good because he has this innocence about him but he's also dark just yeah ripping so people's heads dark. off and, and awful and like i don't know it, there's something about him that makes him the most compelling villain and i love it yeah I don't know. I'm looking forward to the next two seasons again. So I haven't started it yet. Don't really have the time at the moment, but once I do, it'll be it'll be good. Yeah. Um so in the future, uh Supercharged as a brand, uh we want to do some things. And this is this is just my ideas. I don't know if I've told you all these yet, Lane. Uh but I want to talk about them real quick. I, I mean, we've talked a little bit about these. Uh, we've talked a little bit, yeah. Supercharged network, Nexus, something that implies it's a larger thing. Uh, that's a goal. Um, we want to we want to move on to like having a Twitch channel and maybe people that have that bear our name, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better term, um, streaming. And you know, maybe we can organize like large streams where we all play the same the same game and have like the supercharged network having like all of our streams live and then you can tune into whatever one specifically if you want to mm-hmm. um we can do things like that i want to do other shows like other podcasts like this um maybe where it's more conversational everyone brings a topic up and we all kind of delve deep into each of them 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't have to be like specifically about games. It can be entertainment or it can be, you know, anything. Um, and then like I want to do like video reviews for video games. Um, uh, I want to. I have... think that yeah, that would be a good one. Yeah, I think that would be really cool. And I kind of want to establish like a network of people that are engaged with this uh, this brand that we're building. Um, so when we were texting about it just the other day, uh, I remember I said something about it being kind of like a hundred thieves, not in terms of like having an esports team or anything, but just you know, there's a a group of people that are. When you think of that person, you think, oh, they're a part of the supercharged network or Nexus or whatever we decide for the the bigger, the bigger picture. Right. So that that's that was my whole thing going into it. We're starting off small right now with the podcast. Um, I would like to bring more people into this podcast. Yeah. Because I think I think having the the different dialogues and the different sense of humors and it would just create more friction. It would create more opportunities to to bring in more audience members. So I am looking forward to that. Um, so look for that in the future, hopefully. And then, like you said, doing, doing game reviews, I hadn't really thought about that, but that would be fun, but definitely the, the streaming thing. It, I, I want to stream with a, with a group of people. Yeah. I think it'd be fun to, to do that, to go through and just, and it doesn't even have to all be like competitive. Like it doesn't have to be apex. It doesn't have to be, dare I say call of duty. Cause I hate call of duty. <laughs> Uh, but it could be just fun games. There are plenty of games out there right now that I would love to play with pretty much everyone in our Discord, like Gang Beasts. True. Never played Gang Beasts, but I've seen all kinds of videos on it, and it looks hilarious. Yeah, yeah. There's another one I was just thinking of. Oh, uh, Crab Game. Crab Game, yeah. I want to play Crab Game so bad. But just no one, no one ever seems like they want to play it. Everyone kind of just, we just kind of talk in the Discord and do our own thing. But I think, if, true, you know, yeah. I think if we, I think if we can convince our friends to play those games with us and convince them to to join, that this would really flourish. Yeah, no, I think we certainly could. And like things like Fall Guys, Minecraft, like games where you just hang out and kind of vibe, this would be great for it. And then. Like a little Halo two v two or something four v four anything like uh, that would be fun. Custom custom Halo games. Once they bring out Forge, we got to do that for sure. Yeah, yeah, it'd be so fun. Uh, and then aside from that, I kind of want to do this is this is my own like pipe dream type beat, and I'm gonna say type beat no matter how <laughs> much beat. RJ gets on to me for it. Um, but I want to do. I want to restart my D&D campaign and streaming that would be really cool. Um, but we'll see about that. Uh, aside from that, I think also like a digital front, like a, like a webpage uh, for like written reviews or just news pieces or uh, features. That would be cool. Um, that would also be, that's also a goal for us. Um, but yeah, I don't want it to start and stop here. Um, Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, no, I don't. I don't want to just do this. I wanna, I wanna do more with it. Yeah. But that's why we we need y'all's help, viewers. Make sure you share, follow, tell your friends about us. Try to get us to grow. Um, Noah, do you want to go into the Patreon or later on? Uh, we'll do that later on. I haven't. We haven't. We don't have like um, anything set up yet. 
we're still working on sort of what the tiers will be, what the rewards for those tiers will be. Um, sure. But if you have any like things that you might want from us, you know, leave a comment or uh, email us at super.charge.pod at gmail.com or add us at vuvuzela21 on Twitter or uh, carnation underscore, underscore gaming on Twitter also. Yep. And uh, I think that's all we've got for you today, guys. So, again, thanks for listening. We definitely appreciate it. And we will see you next week on the Supercharged Podcast. Take care. Um, well, next week is Christmas. We will see you the week after next week on the Supercharged <laughs> Podcast. All right. Thank you for watching. Thank you for yep. tuning in. <laughs>